Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. Eliminating five deadly fears. Eliminating... Notice how I didn't say tolerating or coping or learning how to deal with fear. This is a broadcast designed to eliminate fear from you. God has no plans for you to cope with the devil's mess, with the devil's junk that he tries to set up in in your life. God did not send Jesus so that you can tolerate, endure, bear, or carry the load that hell desires to Uh, to weigh you down with the bible says in hebrews chapter 12 we are to lay aside every weight that so easily entangles us and one of the heaviest weights people carry is fear the bible calls it in isaiah 61 the spirit of heaviness second timothy chapter 1 and verse 7 says God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. And so that spirit of fear, Isaiah 61 says, is a spirit called heaviness that weighs people down. It cripples people. It stagnates people from moving on into the great destiny that God has for them. People go through vicious cycles, paralyzed beat down, victimized by this thing called fear that is like a a prison cell that doesn't allow people to come out of unless you come into the knowledge of the truth. Remember, Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 32, you shall know the truth and the truth that you know will set you free. So the devil works overtime trying to keep you away from truth because the moment you come into truth, fear can't tolerate truth, Satan can't tolerate truth, sin can't tolerate truth demons and destruction can't tolerate truth the moment you step into truth you step into freedom it's impossible for light and darkness to cohabitate to coexist john chapter 1 says in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god he was in the beginning with god and that word is the light of men and that light shines in darkness and darkness cannot comprehend it. The moment the word comes on the scene, Psalm 119 says it this way, the entrance of his word brings and it carries light and light is the solution to everything darkness seeks to set up in your life. So the moment the word gets in you today, the darkness of fear is going to be expelled. It's going to be removed. It's going to be eliminated. That's why I titled this broadcast, Eliminating the Five Deadly Fears. I want to start off by reading Psalm 27. And if you're just tuning in now, please help me. Get this word out by sharing this broadcast to as many people as you can. If you're on Facebook, click that share button. If you're on YouTube, comment, like. It helps. Also, if you're on YouTube, like. Like the video, comment as much as you can. It does help the algorithms, and it helps us get the word out. Psalm 27. Listen to this. One of my favorite Psalms. Psalm 27 in verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. David speaking. A matter of fact, in my Bible, there's a little... Head, uh, heading uh, uh, 
on top of Psalm 27 that says an exuberant declaration of faith. You see, faith, unless it is declared, will, no, will do no, nothing at all for you. Unless faith is declared, it will do nothing at all for you. That's why I love this heading because it says the exuberant. It doesn't even just say a declaration of faith. It is the exuberant declaration of faith. Why do I like that? Because it's not just what you say that matters. It's how you say it. It's not just what you say that matters. It's how you say it. Just taking declarations of faith and repeating them with a dead, monotonous voice is not going to do anything. And even if you had a loud, uh, charismatic declaration of those things, but there's nothing. It's not coming from within here. It's not going to do anything for you. It has to exude from within and when it exudes from within, it's impossible for you to have some dead tone when you speak the words of faith. You know, the Bible says, I will bless the Lord at all times. That wasn't David just saying, well, you know what? No matter what comes our way, we just have to learn to deal with it. No, I'm going to bless. I will bless the Lord at all times. I will say of my God, David said constantly throughout the Psalms. So you have to learn not just to say the right thing, but to confess it from a heart-rooted conviction that these things really are so, that God is not a liar, that he has integrity, that what he said he'll do, he will do, that he's honored his word above all his name, that God said, even if men are faithless, I abide faithful, my name is faithful and true, and he said in Hebrews chapter 10, that uh, Hebrews chapter 6, God desiring to show the immutability of his counsel, he has confirmed it by an oath in that he can swear by no one greater. He swore by himself. The word of God carries a sworn blessing on it. God didn't swear by the head of an angel. God didn't swear to confirm his word by the head of a man. God did not swear to confirm his word by the head of a devil or a demon. God swore to confirm his word by his own head. He said, by myself, I have sworn. So there's a sworn blessing on the word of God. There is, a, there is an immutability of the word of God. Of God based on the fact that God has put his own reputation, his own head on the line. And so it's not just what you say. It's not just quoting the right thing. There's a Charles Price who was an amazing evangelist back in the day. He had preached healing meetings in, in I think in, in Alberta, Canada. And one night he preached and uh, they used to drop off sick people and people that were in wheelchairs. They'd have the bus come by the real uh, the the hospitals or rehab centers pick up some people that wanted to go to these meetings and he would drop they would drop that bus would drop off people that needed a miracle and so one night a lady um there were many people that came off with wheelchairs and that one lady she heard the word of the lord and so the next night when she was dropped off by wheelchair uh, by a bus in a wheelchair the the bus attendant said what time should i pick you up tonight and she replied in confidence and boldness, I will not need a, a ride back home. I'm leaving this place walking and I'll walk myself back home. Thank you very much. And so there was another lady in a wheelchair that heard that same confession. That night, that lady that was in the wheelchair that had made that bold confession got up off the wheelchair and received her healing. So the next night, the other lady that heard her confess that said, well, she confessed that and that's what she got. Let me just try this faith stuff and see if it works for me. The next night, she did, this, she did, uh, she did the exact same thing she had seen the other lady do the, pre the previous night. The, the bus attendant said, should I pick you up at such and such a time? She just 
based on what she saw, said, no, I'm going to walk out of this place healed tonight. I've come here to receive my healing. She didn't have the word of God in her heart. She just saw what someone else had, the experience of another, and that was the base of, basis of her faith. Now, I want you to understand, testimonies are great supplements to faith, but testimonies alone are not faith. Just because you saw someone so, uh, God do it in someone else's life that and now you're believing God for the same that doesn't constitute faith faith begins where the will of God is revealed faith begins where you know God's word your faith cannot go beyond your actual knowledge of the word of God not a testimony a testimony can add to your faith it can help strengthen that faith but the actual substance of faith is imparted into you when you hear the word of God and the word itself the Bible says and I just did a broadcast on Tuesday how can you grow your faith faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3 says that Paul was commending the Thessalonians because he said, I have heard that your faith groweth exceedingly. I'm thanking God always because I've heard that your faith is growing exceedingly. So Paul testified that you can exceedingly grow, develop, enhance the power of faith that's in you through the exposure that you have from the word of God. That's why I commend you for tuning into this broadcast today because as you sit under the tutelage of the word, as you let these words, these are not natural words. These are not just regular words. These are spiritual words that are imparting into you a spiritual vibe vibrant faith that is going to cause you to stand when others are falling it's going to cause you to rise when others are bowing it's going to cause you to move forward when others are moving backwards it's going to cause you to be fearless in a world that is fearful the word of god jesus said it this way these words that i speak to you they are spirit and they are life these are not natural words i've sat in college uh, tech, uh, college classrooms and I've read college textbooks I never once developed faith I never once felt like I should get right with God I never once you know even reading about Jesus in humanity courses it didn't do anything for me because it's all just man's dogmatic statements of who they think God is but when I read the word of God for myself that's when OCD broke off my life that's when sin's clutch was removed from my life that's when I was delivered from the powers of darkness and I was transferred into the power of God, into the kingdom of God. And so I say all that to say, it's not just looking at a somebody else's testimony that makes faith. It's rooting your faith in God's word. God's word is the foundation on which faith is built and matures on. Testimonies can help encourage you. They can help uh, bring you boldness. They can help strengthen that faith that is in you. But the faith that cometh from God cometh only by his word. And so as you hear today, as you listen today, don't just seek to be informed or audibly receive from the word of God. I said it on Tuesday. There is the Logos of God, which is just the literal um, information of God's word that comes to people. Faith does not come just by hearing the information of the word of God. 
Because Romans 10, 17 says, faith cometh by hearing the rhema of God. The logos of, of God is just hearing the information from the word of God. It's knowing, you know, people that know the story of David and Goliath. They could literally have zero faith. They can give you a perfect account of the story of David and Goliath. They can tell you the names of people in the Bible. They can even go through the genealogies of, 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 um, of the Bible that's listed out in the Bible. They could even tell you perhaps an accurate depiction of the gospel accounts. They can talk to you about blind Bartimaeus. They know the logos, but that means nothing for them because they don't act on that faith. It does nothing for them because they don't move in that faith. They don't take the kingdom of heaven by faith. They don't actually vocalize or confess those things for themselves. They are just informed and Paul said knowledge just puffs up. It just puffs up. It, it, knowledge, if you're not careful, it will actually just bring pride. But when the rhema comes, the rhema is the God-inspired word that gets dropped into your spirit. See, the logos dwells within the soulish elements of man. It dwells within your mind. You can receive it with your mind. But when the rhema comes, it goes deep down into the heart. It gets deposited into the very spirit, the inner man. If you've read the Bible, many times you will see the word inner man or you'll see the spirit man or you'll see the um the heart you'll hear the heart of man when the bible talks about the inner man or the heart of man or the spirit of man it's talking about your your inner being the real you remember this i've said this many times on this broadcast man is a tripartite being we are not a body this is not what you see is what you get we have a body or we live in a body rather we have a soul, but we are a spirit being. Man is a spirit being. We are created in the image of God. God is spirit. When Adam sinned, it was not man's body that died right away. It wasn't man's mind that died right away. Adam was still able to move. Adam was still able to live another 900 and odd years. Adam was still able to think for himself. But what died? What died was his spirit man, the thing that looks like God, the thing that had the God nature on the inside of him. And so when that thing died, he no longer could operate in dominion on the earth. He could no longer operate in faith. He lost the ability to be faith-filled and instead fear gripped his heart. That's why, before I move on to anything else, the origin of fear, where did fear come from? I need to tell you that fear, was, God did not create man with fear. God did not originate man with fear. You weren't put on this earth to fear. That is not your original design or the original intent of our designer for us. The Bible says when we were created, everything was very good. Adam walked in dominion. He subdued all things under him. There was nothing that was over him other than God. He walked as the, 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 the man of the hour on the earth. Everything he named, uh, if he named a fish a certain name, then that fish was called a certain name. He had the authority to delegate on the earth. He had the authority to, 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 to call anything he wanted into being, and it came into being. We read that in Genesis chapter 2. But in Genesis 3, the Bible says that Satan came and deceived man and woman by his subtility, and he caused them to eat of that fruit. When they did that, they defied the living God. They defied their creator. They went against, they committed cosmic rebellion against God and as such forfeited that, that um, God-like nature on the inside of them. And when that left, the Bible says when Adam was hid and sewed fig leaves together to hide himself, God was walking in the cool of the day. And the Lord said, 
The Lord said, Adam, where art thou? Adam came out and said, I was afraid that you would see me naked. That's the first time you see the word afraid or fear in the Bible. And then after that, you'll hear it a lot more throughout the Bible. If you read the entirety of the Bible, you'll see a lot of times angels came to men and the first thing they said was, do not fear, do not fear, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed, don't be discouraged. Because when Adam sinned, Sin entered the world, and sin generates fear. The unredeemed spirit generates fear. It's impossible to break free from fear until you break free from sin. Until you take off the yoke of slavery to sin, you'll continue to carry a yoke of slavery to fear. So what does David say? David says, so we found out what the origin of fear is. We found out that God does not desire you to walk in fear. You know, fear and worry is rooted in the devil's ability. Fear and worry is rooted in what the devil can do. You're literally confessing faith in the devil and denying faith in God and his ability and grace to carry you through to where you need to be. Fear is faith in the devil. I want you to understand that. You're going to have faith either in God or you're going to have faith in the devil. You can't remain neutral. You're either going to have the fear of man, the fear of God, or the fear of the devil. You cannot uh, stay neutral. You're going to believe something. You're going to believe a report. That's why Isaiah 53 says, Lord, to whom has who has believed your report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? To whom has believed your report? So it's a choice. You have to learn to believe the report of the Lord and you can't believe a report that you don't even know exists. That's why the devil seeks to keep people in ignorance because people are destroyed because of ignorance. They are alienated from the life of God because of ignorance. They are cut off from the promises of God because of ignorance. They are eliminated from tasting and seeing of the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living because of ignorance. So the devil keeps seeks to keep you ignorant because fear and worry, listen to this, get this, fear and worry is rooted in belief of unscriptural scenarios that the enemy likes to play out in people's minds. Fear and worry is rooted in the belief of unscriptural scenarios that the devil seeks to play out in people's minds. Fear and worry, I'm going to say one more time. Fear and worry is rooted in unscriptural scenarios that the devil seeks to play out in people's minds. So when you don't know the word of God, the enemy can take advantage of you and play out different scenarios that really don't belong to you because they're not li lined up in scripture. What happens to me, this, the, my future is as bright as the promises of God. My future is as bright as the promises of God. So what happens to me, what plays out in my mind, because I stay in... I, I stay in the word. I expose myself to the word. What is playing out in my mind, the, the theater, if you would see the theatrical display playing out in my mind is not determined by what I hear from this world. It's not determined by, by unscriptural beliefs because I understand what the scripture says about me. Because I know what God's will is concerning me, I am not a victim of the devil's fear and I'm not a playground for the enemy to come in and... and, and, and allow me to go down this vicious cycle 
of unscriptural scenarios constantly playing out in my mind, robbing me of faith, weighing me down, keeping me and capturing me by the chains that fear sets up in people's lives. So when you don't know the scripture, you can be victimized by unscriptural scenarios because that's what you, you have nothing else that you could believe. But when you understand the scripture, whenever something, something comes up, whenever the devil uses the power of, suggest, of suggestion to get you to believe something else outside of the confine of scripture, then it strikes you wrong. It irritates your spirit. You understand that doesn't belong to me. You understand that actually that's not my portion as a child of God. Actually, that's not what the Bible says that I'm, I'm going to experience in life. You know what you expect, you'll experience. And so your expectation is either going to be laid out from the Bible or it's going to be laid out from the devil. And if you expect the devil's tragedy, you will experience tragedy after tragedy. But if you expect God's word, you'll experience goodness and mercy following you and chasing you down every single day of your life and I believe that from this broadcast whatever the devil has expected you to believe whatever the devil has attempted to get you to expect for your own life in the name of Jesus Christ those seeds of doubt and unbelief and worry and fear are being uprooted today and seeds of faith are going to be planted in its stead in Jesus mighty name in Jesus mighty name Child of God, I don't know who you are, but if you could stop preaching another sermon while I'm trying to, people are going to get distracted by what you're saying. If you have your own YouTube account, sign up for your own YouTube channel, do whatever you have to do, but stop distracting people from, from hearing the word of the Lord. We're not talking about the book of Revelation today. We're going to get to that another time, but not today. Stay focused. We're not, yes, we're in the last hour, but stay focused, child of God on YouTube, because you're distracting people. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came up against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and my foes, they stumbled and they fell. Though an army may encamp around me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. Before I can move on to anything else, we have to go through the reality of fear. I'm going to read 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Because some people, they've tagged this like acronym to fear, F-E-A-R. False evidence appearing real. They make it to seem like fear is, is like this false evidence. That it's all in your mind. That there's really... No, actually, fear can be rooted in real things. Fear can be rooted. You can have a fear of sickness. You can have a fear of death. Those things are real things. However, you can overcome those fears through faith. And so fear is not just some, you know, paranoia or schizophrenia that people have, that they're really just, you know, they're just extravagant people. They're, they're um, superstitious. No, fear can be rooted in superstition, but many times fear is, is rooted in real problems. People have a real fear of poverty. They have a real fear of death. Those things are not false evidence. People die. Coronavirus was not fake. It's a real thing. People had a fear of it. We don't deny the reality of a virus. We don't deny the reality of these things. They're real problems. Faith is not denying reality. Faith is securing the word of God in your heart so that you can overcome and triumph over 
over the real problems. The devil is, is a real foe. He's not some fictional thing. People have a real fear of the devil. He's really messed things up in some people's life. There's a, there's a, it's not irrational. If you don't know the word of God, it's not irrational for the world to be afraid of demons and de devils. It's not irrational if you don't know the word of God to be afraid of sickness and death and premature death and tragedy and car accidents and all those things. If you don't know the word of God, those things are going to dominate your heart. That's why Jesus said, do not fear. Do not be afraid of your life. Don't be afraid of your body as to what you'll put on. Don't be afraid of your clothing as, uh, as to your, your life, as to what you'll eat, as to what you'll drink. Rather, seek first the kingdom of God and his word and his righteousness. Jesus said it this way. He that hears these words of mine and doesn't do anything about it, he's going to be washed away by fear. He'll be destroyed. He'll be uprooted. He'll be totally laid flat by fear. But whoever hears these words and doeth them and walks in faith, he'll stand strong. The same problems the world faces, you might face. But the thing, the difference, the distinction between them and us is going to be that after everything is said and done, when the whirlwind passes by, we'll be found standing. Because faith empowers you for victory. Faith always brings victory. In the entirety of the Bible, there is never, ever is faith related to defeat. You'll never see defeat related to faith. You'll never see a man of faith fall into defeat. You'll never see a man of faith not obtain victory. You'll never see. It's not like Daniel went through the lion's den and he was chewed up and spat up and that was the end of the story. But you know what? He still stood strong. No, when he stayed and stood in faith, the Bible says the Lord sent an angel to deliver him from the den of lions and he came out untouched. Matter of fact, he slept all night and he said the Lord has sent his angel to shut the mouths of lions. Hebrews 11.33 says through faith we have, uh, we have uh, subdued kingdoms. We have obtained righteousness. We have obtained promises. Through faith we have stopped the, the violence of fire. Through faith we have out of weakness become strength, uh, become strong. So faith is not denying the problems of life. Faith is receiving power from God at, laid out from his word to overcome the problems of life. Remember, 1 John 5, 4 says, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So here, 2 Chronicles 20, it happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. And some came and told Jehoshaphat saying, a great multitude is coming up against you beyond the sea from Syria and they're in Hezazon Tamar, which is in En Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat feared. So fear is a real thing. Now how you react after you feel the sensation of fear, after you feel fear trying to prevail against you, after you feel fear trying to enter into your heart, how you react after that determines the end of your story. But no matter how strong you grow in faith, no matter how big of a giant you are in faith, no matter how much of the word of God you have in your heart, if you get a bad report, if you get... Uh, you know, someone tell you bad news or whatever, the doctor tells you something you don't want to hear, it's natural to fear. But you have the decision either to become a victim of that fear, to succumb to that fear, to follow down the path of fear, or to do like David did in Psalm 27 where he says, though my enemies or enemies come against me, I will not be afraid. 
Fear is a choice. Faith is a choice. You can either, you know, Job, the Bible says in Job 3, 15 and 16, the things which I greatly feared have come to me. That which I dreaded has come upon me. You can either choose to fear and as such, it magnetizes the problems and defeat. When you fear, you are attracting demonic activity into your life when you fear you are attracting misery you are attracting curses you are attracting satanic presence you are attracting sickness you are attract look at job people think that god just put everything on job god didn't put anything on job the bible says that job's fear is what attracted the tragedies job had to endure and experienced for one year and a half uh, scholars say for a year and a half 18 months it was Satan who went forth from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with boils. It wasn't God that was striking Job with sickness. It wasn't Job, uh, God that was taking Job's prosperity away. It wasn't God that was making things difficult for Job. It was the devil that because of Job's fear, the hedge of protection that was around Job was lifted and the enemy was able to go in like a flood and take what he wanted to take. When you fear, you are an open prey. For the enemy to come and rip you down. When you fear, when you stand in fear, when you walk by fear, when you confess the confession of fear, you become, you have an, you've left an open door. That's why Paul said in Ephesians 4.27 that you are in no way to give a foothold to the devil. Fear gives a foothold to Satan to drag you down. So people think that Job was just some sovereign move. No, it wasn't. It was actually, you can, you can find out what brought those problems to Job's life. It was his fear. He said it by his own confession. The things that I have dreaded have come to me. Because remember, before that, Job was the greatest man in all the East. The Bible says that he had so much cattle. He was the, 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 the richest man, the most prosperous man on earth in that time. He was a... Uh, 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 an enviable person. People envied Job. But he had one thing that he never got out of his heart, and that was fear. He constantly would offer up sacrifice for his children for fear that they had cursed God. They, he had a, a crippling fear in his heart that caused him to have fear confessions, fear acts. Not only does fear confess poorly, but fear acts poorly. Fear has acts. Fear has an action associated to it. Just like faith has an action associated towards it for it fear keeps people at at stage one they don't want to move on do you know how many people fear failure and we're going to get into that they don't want to move forward for fear of failure for fear of defeat for fear of not not actually getting what they want and so they just choose to just sit down and and play dead and just you know i'll just settle fear will cause you to settle at the level that you're at right now but i want to remind you psalm 23 says david said though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death you see fear causes you to camp in to the valley of shadow of death fear causes you to camp in the valley of the shadow of death but david said i will walk through it and i will fear no evil because he made a decision not to fear he said i'm not gonna camp i'm gonna walk through it and the bible says his rod god's word will come from me and guide me into the place that I need to be when you are afraid when you worry when you carry anxiety in your heart based on unscriptural unscriptural scenarios it causes you to just stay put and just almost like I'm gonna bear the attack almost like I'm just gonna wait for the devil to 
be done with me and then I'll move forward when I see an opening. That's what fear does. It, it brings intimidation and intimidation squashes destiny. But when faith is on the inside of you, you know, Philippians 1.28 says, um, we are to be in no way terrified of our adversaries, which is a sign to them of destruction, but to us of salvation. You are to be in no way terrified of your adversaries. When you're terrified of your adversaries, it shows the devil that what he's doing works and he should continue doing it. But when you're in no way terrified of your adversaries, it shows that the enemy's time is running out in your life and you're about to break through. That's why in Paul and Silas's case, they're in the prison cell, scheduled for execution in the morning. They had every reason to fear. They had every reason to be afraid. They had every reason to be worried. They, were they weren't going to live past 24 hours, my friends. But the scripture says, instead of falling a victim to fear, they chose to rise in faith and they began to sing praises to God loud and high. You see, faith is expressed through your praise. No matter the the darkness that surrounds you, no matter the hour that you feel like you're living in, no matter the tragedy or the problems that you might be facing or the opposition that might be threatening you or intimidating you, just like David and Goliath, Goliath mouthed off, if you'll do like David did and like, like uh, Saul, Silas and Paul did, that in the face of all those things, I will not be afraid, I will not give up and quit, I will not be discouraged, I will not grow weary in well-doing, I will not sacrifice my praise because of what I'm seeing, I'm going to actually offer up a sacrifice of praise. Why is it a sacrifice of praise? Because a sacrifice requires something from you. A sacrifice requires you to do something you don't know or don't want to do. That's why it's called a sacrifice of praise. You don't feel like praising. You don't feel like jumping. You don't feel like dancing when everything is going out wrong around you, when it feels like hell is closing in on you. But I'm telling you, if you'll offer up a sacrifice of praise you will receive a harvest of breakthrough a harvest of miracles a harvest of healing a harvest of supernatural deliverance not by might or by strength but by the power of the holy ghost that comes on the scene when praises go up god's blessings come down and when god's blessings come down every opposition has to bow out so you have to learn to offer up a sacrifice of praise in the face of fear that's what 2 Chronicles 20 is the story of. Jehoshaphat feared. He heard the news. Three armies were coming to wipe him out. But instead of fearing and continuing on fearing, he said, I'm going to seek the Lord. And when he sought the Lord and began to praise the Lord, the Lord gave him an answer. The Lord gave him a, a, a wisdom as to know, to know what to do. And the scripture, that story ends up. The story doesn't end. Jehoshaphat died in all of J Jerusalem. But there were still a few left that remained and so God started fresh with the no the Bible says by the end of that story they didn't even have to lift a finger they didn't have to go to war they didn't have to do anything because the Lord fought their battle the Lord fought their battle and as such they all they had to do was go to the valley where the battle was to take place and they looked over and they saw all their bodies dead not one had escaped and it took three to four full days to recover the spoil of war from, uh, from all, the, all the soldiers that had come against them, all, all the gold, all the silver, all the clothing, took three days to recover it all. Not only did they not have to fight, not only did all their armies that had come against them perish, but everything the enemy came to seek and uh, came to steal from them, the people of God ended up taking from, from their enemies. 
I mean, that's the story of every faith giant in the Bible. That's the Haman wanted to kill the people of God. Esther rose up in faith. The same weapon that was used, that was going to be used to kill the Jews, God used to kill Haman. The same weapon that the enemy is using against you is actually a sign of what God's about to use you in when he delivers you today. So fear attracts problems. Faith attracts victory. Fear attracts problems. Faith attracts victory. I'm going to go through four things I wrote down as um, sources of fear. Because if you don't know the source of fear, you're never going to put an end to, the, <laughs> to that source. You've got to cut off the sources of fear in your life. Number one is the spirit of fear. Demonic, demonic fear. Literally a demon assigned to your life to cause you to live in fear. 2 Timothy 1.7, we've not been given a spirit of fear. So the Bible says there is a spirit called fear that seeks to, to, to shred you up, man. Number two, the Bible says, I mean... Continuing on with spirit of fear, Saul had a spirit of fear that the Bible says the only time it left him was when David played the harp and sang praises unto God. That, the, that spirit of fear left Saul, a tormenting spirit, the Bible says. It left Saul, and Saul had temporary relief. So there, you can't discount there is a real spirit of fear. But there's not, that's not the only source of fear. Number two is wrong information. Where did I get this from? 2 Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 2 says this, You should not be soon shaken in mind or troubled. So here's what Paul says, shakes people in their mind and troubles them in their spirit. He says this, either by spirit, so we dealt with that, the spirit of fear, or by word. What's word? Word is a bad report. Someone giving you a bad word. Jairus received word that his daughter was dead and no longer to trouble the teacher any longer. That put fear in him. That's why Jesus said, don't be afraid, only believe. All things are possible to him that believes. So number two, you, so number one, you can be troubled by spirit or by word. Negative information being deposited into your spirit. People telling you you're not going to make it. Surrounding yourself with naysayers. That's going to crush you. You can choose to hang around chickens and you'll end up in chicken soup. Or you can choose to hang around lions, people that are going to encourage you in the faith. The Bible says we are not to be followers of them who, who, who do nothing, but followers of them who through faith and patience obtain the promises of God. So choose to hang around people that are going to give you good words, good reports, that are going to give you scriptural words that are going to impart into you the word of God, that are going to speak to you the word of the Lord, that are not going to twist or, 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 or pervert God's word with their own saying or their own opinions, but people that are going to give it to you plain and simple, that if the Lord before you, who can be against you? Those people will help you to continue on in faith and eradicate fear in your life. Either by spirit or by word or by letter. What's letter? Letter is exposing yourself to information that is contrary to the word of God. So in those days, the only media they had was the written letters. Letters they read. Uh, books they read. Epistles. Now we have media. If you expose yourself and constantly expose yourself and overexpose yourself and are only taking in what the media and news media is telling you, you are going to be weighed down in fear. No matter how much you try, no matter how much of the word of God you get in you, if you pervert it or mix in it the negative information of fear, it's going to pollute that pure seed of faith and you're not going to have the outcome you want to have. 
you're still going to carry that weight. So by spirit, by word, by letter, and then I've put in another one, by negative thought patterns that have been developed in you. Four sources of fear. Number one, demons. Number two, um, bad reports, words that people tell you. Number three, we're wrong information that you receive from different mediums. And then number four, negative thought patterns developed over the years. Second Chronic, uh, Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 to 5 says, we are to cast down every imagination and every thought that, that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ, we are to take into captivity. So the Bible says there are strongholds in the mind. You cast out devils, but you cast down strongholds. And the way to cast down strongholds, the way to undo these negative thought patterns and to reestablish positive thought patterns or biblical, rather, thought patterns is by renewing your mind by the washing of the water of the word of God. The Bible says we are to put off the old man, the old way of thinking, the old thought patterns, and we are to be renewed in the spirit of our mind and then put on the new man which is created according to God in righteousness, holiness, and in truth. So that means there's work you have to do. Not all the, one of the four things that I said today of sources of fear are demonic. The other three are your own fault. One of the three are demonic. The other, uh, one, one of the four are demonic. The other three are your own fault. I wrote this on Instagram yesterday. Stop blaming others for where you are in life. You possess faith. You're responsible for growing that faith and you're responsible for releasing that faith through your words and your actions. So stop blaming others. So many people blame the devil for things that are actually their own, the product of their own actions and their own doing. The devil's like been taking a sabbatical for the last eight months. You've still been bound and you're still blaming him. He hasn't even done anything. Some, of, some people, they speak such negative things. They, they declare such defeat and reprehensible things over their life that the devil actually can fold his hands and say, I don't even have to go to work. Their own words are going to bring that harvest for themselves. Speak death. Attract death. Speak poverty. Attract poverty. Speak sickness. Attract sickness. The devil has his hands folded. His Legs on a, on a sofa bench watching Netflix, not even bothering you anymore because it's your own words. Lester Sumrall used to say that um, the devil wishes he can do as much damage as some people's words do to their own lives. The devil wishes that he can get to the level to do as much damage as some people's own confession does over their own life. And so those negative thought patterns, out of the abundance of the heart, Jesus said the mouth speak. Those negative thought patterns have to be undone. They have to be destroyed. They have to be cast down. Those thoughts need to be taken into captivity to the obedience of the word of God. And that's when change happens. Change will not happen on the outside until change happens on the inside. Your life is going to go in the direction of your strongest thoughts. If your thoughts are influenced by wrong words, by letters, by media, or by wrong thinking patterns, or by Satan himself, you're going to go in the direction of your strongest thoughts. But if your thoughts are influenced from the word of God, uh, Solomon said that I will hide thy word in my heart. Solomon said in Proverbs 4, I will keep my eyes on thy word. It shall 
be within the midst of my heart. It is life to them that find it and health to all their flesh. Solomon said in Proverbs 3, treasure my words in you. Keep them ever before your eyes for it is length and long life and peace for them that find it. Write it on the tablet of your heart for then you'll find favor in the sight of God and man. So we have to learn to expose ourselves to the right things. When you do that, you have to take the responsibility to do that. I get people that write to me all the time, pray that fear leaves. I can't pray that fear leaves until you take responsibility for yourself to do the steps, take the steps necessary for fear to leave you alone. People want this like magic religion. They want the quick snap undo. They want the, the drive-through Christianity. They want the McDonald's Jesus. That it just, just I don't want to, I don't want to do all that. I don't want to, I don't want to have any responsibilities on my own end. Just wave the wand, say the thing, do the incantation. Like, it, like this is witchcraft. This ain't witchcraft. You have to take the responsibility. Bishop Oyedepo said, any faith that seeks to make God totally responsible for the outcome of your life is an irresponsible faith. It's an irresponsible faith. You have to make the decision. Like David said, I will treasure thy words in my heart that I may not sin against you. How can a young man keep his way clean? By keeping it according to your word. David said, how I love thy law, thy word. It is my meditation all the day. Psalm 1 says, how blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, doesn't stand in the path of sinners, doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he doth meditate day and night. He'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. He will bear fruit in every season. His leaves will never wither. Whatever he does shall prosper in his hand. You, It's up to you. The ball's in your court. But I know that you haven't stayed on this broadcast for 50 minutes unless you mean business with God today. And so, without delaying any further, I want to go through eliminating the five deadly fears. So we talked about what fear is. We talked about where fear comes from. We talked about what fear attracts. But let's talk about the five deadly fears you can eliminate today by the Word of God. And I want to reiterate... The remedy for fear is faith, and faith grows as you understand your covenant rights listed out in the Bible. The remedy of fear is faith, and faith grows as you come under the understanding of your covenantal rights listed from the Bible. Fear is expelled when you start to get this word in your heart and then speak it out of your mouth. So Psalm 91, everybody knows it. He that dwells in the shelter of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So you have to dwell in God. You need to be saved, first of all. You need to dwell in God. You need to dwell in His presence. You need to dwell in His Word. But then David doesn't just end there. I will dwell under the shelter of the Most High. I will abide under the protective shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of my God. So fear doesn't just go by getting the Word in your heart. Fear goes when when I speak on what the Word of God says about your situation today, it, there's an overflow of it in your heart to the point where you start to confess it over your own life. Faith without confession is fake. People confess what they believe. David didn't just think God was his fortress. David said, I will say of my God, he is my fortress. He is my, my, my strong tower. He is my defense. He is my God in my refuge, my God in whom I trust. He is my light and my salvation. And as a result, I will not be afraid 
of the things that he lists out in Psalm 91. I will not be afraid of the arrow that flies by day. I will not be afraid of the pestilence that stalks in darkness. So what are five deadly fears that you can eliminate over your life today, here and now, that you don't have to stay chained up by those things anymore, being crippled and paralyzed, staying at a low level in life because you're fear of, of these certain things, but instead you can break free from them and move on and keep moving and keep on marching and keep on going towards the high prize of the call of God in Christ Jesus. Number one is sickness. What are the five deadly fears God is going to eliminate in your life today? Number one is sickness. The, one of the biggest fears that people have in life is sickness and disease. They are scared to die. COVID did not bring the fear of sickness and disease on people. It just revealed what was already in people's hearts. People are afraid of sickness. They're afraid of getting diagnosed with cancer. They're afraid of getting diagnosed. And all those things, if you're not in Christ, you should be afraid of those things. But Exodus 23, 25, let me tell you what God's covenant says concerning you. Because ultimately, I'm in covenant with God. I'm not in covenant with the devil. I'm not in covenant with man. I'm in covenant with God. And so what God's covenant says I can have is what I will have. Exodus chapter 23 and 25. So you shall serve the Lord your God. This is going to blast the fear of sickness off your life today as you hear these words. So you shall serve the Lord your God and he will bless your bread and your water and I, God said, will take sickness away from the midst of you. And no one will suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. So the Bible says one of the benefits of serving God is he will take away sickness out of your midst. Psalm 103, David said, bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits. He doesn't just forgive all my sins. He heals all my diseases. He heals my sicknesses. He has extracted sickness from your life. The Bible says in Jeremiah, he, uh, heal me, O God, and I shall be healed. Save me and I shall be saved. It is a two-part um, operation when you get saved. Number one is God clears away your, your sin. He washes all the sins. Although your sins were as scarlet, he's made you as white as snow. But then number two, he told the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. That guy didn't come to get his sins forgiven. He came to walk that day. But Jesus said, which is easier for me to say, your sins are forgiven or rise up, pick up your bed and walk. But that you might know that the Son of Man has authority over sins. I say to you, pick up your bed and walk. So Jesus is... Uh, atoning work at the cross of Calvary was a two-part work. There's a, there is, there's multiple byproducts of the atonement of Jesus Christ. Number one is your sins are forgiven, but also he came to heal you of sickness and disease. Isaiah 53, Jesus bore our sickness. He carried our pains. If he bore it, I don't need to bear it. So I'm not expecting to bear something that Jesus already bore for me. Satan cannot legally lay on me what God already laid on Jesus. I'm exempt from sickness. I will walk in the healing package of God. If God was able to bring out 3 million Jews out of Egypt and there was none feeble or weak amongst all their tribe and that was under an old covenant that was on less promises or less good promises 
Not as great promises that the Bible says we have in this new covenant. Hebrews 8, 6 says we have a better covenant based and established on better promises. If God did it under the old covenant, which glory is diminishing, how much more shall he keep us mysteriously healthy and strong, free from the plague of sickness and disease under this new covenant that is based and established on better promises? Remember, when you got saved, you didn't just join a church. You didn't join an organization. You didn't just have your name written in heaven. You became one spirit with Jesus. You became one flesh with Jesus. The Bible says he that has been joined to the Lord has become one spirit with him. And Ephesians 5 says we are members of his body, members of his bones, and members of his flesh. Is there sickness in Jesus' body? My question to you, is there sickness in Jesus' bones? Is there sickness in Jesus' flesh? Absolutely not. If there's none in him that there could be none in me. You have to live. You cannot expect sickness. You, you have to learn to not... Ex See, fear is living in expectation of what the devil can throw your way. I don't live in expectation of what the devil can throw my way because I've been bought with a price and I've been told to glorify God in my spirit and my body which belong to God. So now my expectation is what God brings my way from his word. And he doesn't... There's not one time did Jesus... Did Jesus walk throughout... Uh, his time on this earth in those three and a half years he did ministry and find healthy people and give them sickness. He didn't find people running and make them crippled. He did the opposite. He found the sick and made them well. He found the blind and made them seen. He found the deaf and had them hearing. He found the cripple, had them running, found the lame, had them dancing. He undid the work of the devil. And if it was God's will for you to be sick, then Jesus lived his entire life undoing the work of God. But the Bible says in Acts 10, 38, no doubt you know of Jesus Christ of Nazareth who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So sickness is a work of the devil. I'm not part of the kingdom of darkness anymore. Just like when, you're a, when you have a passport in a nation and you're a citizen of that nation, you get to have the benefits of that nation. You fall under, if you have a tyrannical government, then you fall under the tyranny of that nation. But when you forfeit that passport and you come as a refugee into a new nation and they give you a passport and they give you, they give you citizenship, then you get the benefits of that nation and you get the freedoms and all the, the niceties that are allotted to citizens in, those, in that nation. In the same vein, we were under the kingdom of darkness. We were bound to the tyranny of the devil. We were under his authoritarian regime. We were bound by darkness. We couldn't be set free. There was no way out. There was no way in our own selves to be redeemed from the work of darkness outside of Jesus Christ. We were bound, you know, what rules in Satan's kingdom? Sickness rules in Satan's kingdom. Depression rules in Satan's kingdom. Every wicked and evil thing. But I've been delivered out of Satan's kingdom and I've been brought into Jesus's kingdom. What rules in Jesus's kingdom? Just look at what heaven's like. There's no sickness in heaven. And so Jesus said, pray that my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There will be no sickness in me. So the fear of sickness is rooted in ignorance of God's covenant of health that he has packaged for every believer that calls on the name of Jesus. The lowest to the highest. There's no hierarchy in the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter if you feel like you're the pinky toe in the body of Christ. You're as much of a partaker of the blessings and benefits of God than the apostle and prophet and evangelist and pastor and teacher. These things belong to you. You can choose to believe the report of the Lord that I'm telling you right now concerning your physical health or you can 
Ignore it, spit it out, and choose to believe the devil and live in dreadful fear and torment of the harassing forces of sickness that plague this earth. Isaiah 54 says, in righteousness, you will be established. Remember, we've established already that sickness is an oppression of the devil. It's not a blessing from God. It is not God's chastising tool. It is not his way of disciplining you. That is religious dogma. It has no root in scripture. If you can find me scriptures that prove that, I'll give you $1,000. There ain't no scripture that proves that. Anything that even remotely looks like that is twisted, and man is adding their own two cents into that scripture. But you look throughout the entirety of the scripture, Jesus was a healer. Jesus continues to heal. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So the Bible says sickness is an oppression of the devil, Acts 10, 38. Luke, 10, verses, uh, Luke 13, verses 10 through 18. A woman was bound by Satan for, 13, uh, for 18 years. Jesus said, you're loose from this infirmity. So now that we have that established, Isaiah 54, 14 says, in, righteous, in righteousness, you shall be established. So what's righteousness? Coming to Christ. The Bible says we now in Christ, he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are established in righteousness. When you're established in righteousness, Isaiah 54, 14 says, you will be far from oppression. It shall not come near you and from terror, it shall not locate you. So the oppression of sickness is far from me. Psalm 91, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your tent. Plague is sickness, viruses epidemics pandemics anything that's in the list listed in the curse of the law and anything that are not listed in the curse of the law the bible says it should be far from me this home that i live in with my children with my wife this home is sickness free we will never know a day of the hospital other than to have another child born or me making a visit to get someone out by laying my hands on them that's the expectation you should have as a child of god the bible says to them who believe he gave power to become children of God. Jesus showed us what it looks like to be a child of God. Jesus wasn't battling sniffles. sniffles. Jesus wasn't battling diabetes. Jesus wasn't battling anything. And if Jesus didn't battle those things, what business do I have battling those things? As I've been made a member of his body, of his flesh, of his bones, the Bible says we have been grafted into him just like a tree. When you take a branch and graft it into a tree, the branch, even if it's a dead branch, it does not, or if it's a diseased branch rather, the tree doesn't get diseased as a result of the engrafting of that branch. Matter of fact, it's the opposite. The health of the tree is going to overwhelm the branch and the branch is going to get healthy. The branch is going to be vital. The branch is going to flourish and bear fruit according to the health of the tree. Jesus is the vine. We were that diseased branch. We've been plugged into Jesus. Now we exude health. We exude supernatural strength we are strong in the lord and in the power of his might in the name of jesus christ i take authority over every fear of sickness and disease and virus that has plagued you maybe in the last year you heard some close people of yours have died of covid and as such you've lived in dreadful torment of covid and you're like one of those people that walk out like a hazmat suit i pray in the name of jesus as this word gets in you today that fear is being expelled out of your system you will not be fearful you shall be fear faithful from today onward in jesus name number two number two eliminating the five deadly fears the fear of death Hebrews chapter 2, let me read this to you. Hebrews chapter 2, if you're just tuning in now, help me to get this word out by sharing this broadcast. 
to as many people as you can. If you're on YouTube and you haven't liked it already, what are you doing, man or woman? Like, like this broadcast. Comment. It's going to help with the algorithm. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children, that's us, have partaken of flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook in the same. He became flesh, he became blood. Why? That through his death, he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. And release those who through fear of death were all our lifetime subject to bondage. I'm going to read that again. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, Jesus likewise partook of the same, that through his death, through the death of Christ, he might destroy him who had, who had, who had, who had, who had, no longer has, who had the power of death. Most people need a second grade education in English. Start to learn past, present, and future tense verbs. Doesn't say who has the power of death, but one day it'll be done. No, the devil had the power of death. That is the devil, and the Bible goes on to say, Jesus released us who through fear of death were all our lifetime subject to its bondage. People live in the dreadful torment of premature death. Christians live in fear of death. And, and there's people that every waking hour of their day, they're thinking about death. Most people don't even plan ahead because they don't even feel like they're going to make it that far in life. Do you see what the fear of death can do? It can stagnate you and paralyze and cripple your destiny because you're thinking, I'm not even going to make it to 60. What business do I have even starting a family? What people have fear of you know, fear of death to the point they don't even want to have children. What if I leave them as orphans? That is the devil convincing you into thinking he, you, that he still has the keys of death. I want to remind you, my brother and sister, Revelation 1, John on the island of Patmos had a vision on the Lord's day. He saw the resurrected Jesus, whose eyes were like a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze, whose, eye, uh, whose mouth... The Bible says, out of his mouth proceeded a double-edged sword, his face like the sun shining in its brilliance. His voice is the sound of many waters. When Jesus saw, uh, when John saw Jesus, he fell as though dead. Jesus put his hand on him, lifted him up, and said, don't be afraid, for I am he who was dead, but now I live, and I hold the keys of death, hell, and the grave. The devil doesn't hold the keys of death. The devil can't kill you anytime he wants to kill you the devil has no ability to wipe you out before your time the devil has lost the ability to bring death the bible says he had the power of death now jesus holds the keys of death hell and the grave and so you shouldn't expect to have your life struck down by tragedy at 30 years old the Bible says in Psalm 91, with long life, I'm going to satisfy you and show you my salvation. 30 is not a long life. 50 is not a long life. 70 is not even a long life. People use that scripture in Psalm 90, and I have to go with it because there's a lot of Christians who excuse people dying early by using this scripture. Oh, we can't expect to live long. You know, David said, what is man's years? 70 if by reason of strength, 80. So if you make it to 70, you should be happy. Let me, let me give you a little context in that scripture. Verse 7, the Bible says, We have been consumed by your anger. 
and by your wrath we are terrified. You have set our sins before you, O God, and our secret sins in the light of your countenance. All of our days have passed away in your wrath. So just before I move on, does the Bible show you? Does the Bible paint a picture of an obedient Israel here? Does the Bible paint a picture of, a, a, of an Israel that is walking in line with God's commandments and instructions that hasn't deviated to the left or to the right, that's keeping holy, that's not falling, uh, falling into idolatry or any wicked thing? No, it says you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. So he's admitting we've messed up. We've not been walking in, in, in goodness. We've not been walking in righteousness. And the result is, verse 9, all our days have passed away in your wrath. And we have finished our years in a sigh. That's talking about hard life. It's talking about struggling through life. That's talking about bearing the burden of life. It's not talking about an obedient Israel. Remember Job 36, 11 says, if you're obedient and you serve me, you'll spend your days in prosperity and your years in pleasure. The Bible says in his presence is joy and the fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures, not pressures forevermore. So this is not talking about people that are abiding in the shadow of the Almighty. This is talking about people who have disconnected from God. And as a result, their days have passed away in wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are only 70 years. The days of our lives are 70 years if by reason of strength we reach 80. Yet their boast is only in labor and in sorrow for we are soon cut down and we fly away. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 34, Moses who was faithful in all of God's house, he was 120 years old, his eyes were not dim and his natural strength was not abated. That's not him being in a nursing home at 80 years old and then taking uh, swiping Gerber's applesauce off, the, off his face because he can't eat for himself anymore and he's paralyzed. That's talking about not only long life, but a long, satisfying life, a strong life, a, a, a vital life, a, a, um, a satisfying life. God doesn't want you to just live long, to be miserable, to live long and to prosper as you live long, to keep on, to doing the best work that God's done through you in your latter days, where you're not looking back to when you were 40 and 50 and saying, oh man, I wish I had the strength I had. No, Abraham was 100 years old and he was ra at 105 raising a five-year-old child, 100 years old. And his, the Bible says he was going out to war against five kings. Bible says 85-year-old Caleb told Joshua, I'm as strong today as I was when I was 40. Give me now this mountain to fight and to obtain the inheritance God has promised me. This is the inheritance of all the children of the Lord. The Bible says, Caleb, as his days were, so was his strength. As his days were, so was his strength. You got to make that confession. I'm not going to die early. I'm not dying before my time. Job said, you will go to your grave at a good old age as a sheaf of corn in its season. At a good old age. 60 is not a good old age. God told Abraham, as for you, Abraham, you shall depart to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. Job, everyone loves to talk about Job. Job, the Bible says, lived a good long life full of good days. Lived to 140 years old in a time where God had, only, had already said, 
Nevertheless, man's day shall be 120. He exceeded 120. Because of the blessing of God on his life. Remember, God promised Abraham good old age. We, as Isaac, are children of the same promise. The Bible says, if ye be Christ, you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to all that God promised Abraham. Stop seeing yourself in a casket at a young age. If you continuously confess, we can go at any time. We're not promised tomorrow. The only way I'm not promised tomorrow is because Jesus can come back at any time. But I'm promised tomorrow because the Bible says, the Bible says, with long life I'll satisfy you. I'm promised tomorrow because the Bible says the numbers of your days I will fulfill. So unless Jesus plans on coming back tonight, I'm going to live a long life. So if you confess the opposite, the devil will put you in an early grave. The devil has no power at all over you unless it's power you give him through the words that you speak. In the same vein, Jesus has no ability to bless you unless you give him words to, 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 to work with. He's the high priest of our confession. Hebrews 3.1 So what does a high priest do? A high priest is in charge with going before God on behalf of the people to bring the petitions and requests to God so that God can act on their behalf. Jesus is the high priest of our confession. Jesus will only bring before God the things that we confess out of our mouth. I don't confess I can die at any time. My confession is, as my days are, as my days are so shall my strength be. My confession is not, you can go at any time. Uh, you know, people die of car accidents every single day. No, my confession is, I will live long. The Bible says in Isaiah 65, the child shall die a hundred years old. The sinner being a hundred will be cursed. So that's saying even if sinners make it to a hundred, they have sorrow tied to it. But the Bible says in, the, in this new covenant, a child, God says a hundred year old is considered a child in his eyes. Psalm 34, let me read this. Psalm 34. Psalm 34. And verse 4. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me from all my fears. I'm listing five fears today, but God will deliver you. If I don't list the fear you have, God will deliver you out of that fear too, as you eat and feast off his word. He delivered me from all my fears. That shows you it's God's desire to eliminate the fear that you're carrying right now. Not for you to learn how to live with it, to blast its stronghold off your life so you walk free from it. Verse 11, come you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking de deceit. David saying, who's the man who wants to live long? Let your tongue be kept from speaking evil. Don't just, don't just let loose whatever comes into your mind. Don't just spew out of your mouth whatever everybody else is talking about. Don't just let your mouth run rampant speaking whatever that the world speaks. The world can speak one way. I'm in covenant with God. I'm going to speak another way. I speak differently because my God is different and my story will be different. 
Who is the man who loves life, wants to see many days that he may see good? Let him speak, let him keep his tongue from speaking evil and his lips from uttering deceit. The Bible says, as they have spoken in the hearing of my ears, so shall I do to them. So shall I do to them. God is committed to creating the fruit of your lips. Isaiah 55 says, I the Lord create the fruit of your lips. So God will create the fruit of your lips. The Bible says in Hebrews 11:3, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. The amount of word you have in your heart and speak out of your mouth is what will frame your world, will frame your future. The word of God spoken out of your mouth from an overflow of faith in your heart will frame your world. What you have in front of you today is a product of what you spoke yesterday. Your life today is evidence of what you spoke yesterday. And so if your life today is bad because you've only known to speak negative your whole life, don't get discouraged. You can change the way you speak. You might not be able to change the things you see today, but you can change the way you speak today. And when you start to do that, your tongue is like the rudder of a ship. Wherever the pilot turns it, the ship goes in that direction. You can determine the direction of where you're going today based on what you speak today, what you confess today. The Bible says, a man will be satisfied by the fruit of his lips. and By the produce of his mouth, he shall be filled. So your mouth is a production plant. It's going to produce what you eat. It's going to produce what you see. It's going to produce what materializes around you. That being said, be careful what you say. It's easy to speak doubt. It's easy to complain. It's easy to speak, uh, you know, the, uh, what the opposition, what you're seeing today. It's easy to talk about death and sickness. It's, you talk to some people, they come up to you, I need prayer for this. And then they'll go a, a whole half hour telling you every single one of their symptoms. How they went to this specialist, that specialist, this specialist. This is what they say I have. They literally can have a medical degree based on their, what they've been feeling and all the research they've done in the last 10 years. Then you ask them, what scripture are you telling you? Well, actually, I, you know, I believe God's going to heal me. They don't know anything about what God said about their body and their physical vitality. They only know what other people have said about it. And so that's why what they filled their heart is what they filled their life with the words that they speak. So number two is the fear of death. Number three is the fear of poverty. Deuteronomy 28. Eliminating these five deadly fears. There's some people that are scared. They grew up poor and they're scared of staying poor. You don't have to be scared of staying poor. The Bible says he delights in the prosperity of his servants. This is where people log off. Because you start to talk about money. And then they think, well, oh, this guy must be a prosperity preacher. Well, I surely am not a poverty preacher, that's for sure. And it's easy to complain about prosperity as you type it on your $1,200 iPhone and you have your other $1,400 MacBook lit up and then you have your TV that's $1,400, 70-inch flat screen hanging up on your wall. Oh, this guy only talks about his prosperity. You know, it's easy to talk, talk about uh, preachers that talk about prosperity that way whenever, when you have no problems with that. But I know there's people watching me right now that you're, you're at the lowest of the low. You grew up in a family that's poor and you're scared of staying poor. Let me encourage you today. Deuteronomy 28. Now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today 
that the Lord your God will set you high above the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come on you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body. Blessed shall be the fruit of your, the produce of your grounds, the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall you be shall be your basket blessed shall be your kneading bowl bless your basket and kneading bowl represents your wallet we don't have baskets and kneading bowls but that's what they used to collect the harvest on and put it in so they can bring it back in that's your wallet it's your bank account in today's terms blessed the bible didn't say curse it says blessed shall be your ba- your kneading bowl blessed shall be your basket blessed shall you be when you come in blessed shall you be when you go out Blessed shall be you when you come in. Blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before your face. They will come out against you one way, but they'll be defeated seven ways. They'll flee from you seven ways. The Lord will command a blessing on your storehouses. That's your bank account. And into all to which you set your hand, he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God has given you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself just as he has sworn to you if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Then all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will be afraid of you. Imagine that. The level of prosperity that you have can actually be a witnessing tool where you start to tell people all of this, it didn't come by the strength of my hand. It didn't come by my own intellectual resources. It didn't come by my efforts or by my works or by good networking. All of this is because I know the Lord my God who gave me power to create wealth. Deuteronomy 8.18, the Lord your God. Do not forget that it is the Lord your God who gives you power to create wealth that he might establish his covenant with you. The Lord will grant you plenty of goods. In the New Living Translation, it says plenty of prosperity. The Lord your God will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, in the produce of your ground, in the land of your Lord, in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. And the Lord will open to you the good treasures. Oh, hallelujah. The heavens to give you rain on your land in its season, to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but ye shall not borrow. God didn't put you on this earth to be a borrower. When you come into covenant with God, he empowers you to step out of the realm of borrowing. And now you're the one who is lending. The Bible says very clearly, ye shall be the head always and never beneath the bible says you'll be the head uh, above always and never under god wants you to be a lender god told abraham i'm gonna bless you and make the blessing so great that you'll be a blessing to others not you going around being a beg me beg uh, a beggarly christian a needy christian always needing a lift always needing a ride always needing a month's rent always you know it's like you're taking your paycheck and then you're just putting it through a shredder it's like you never end up seeing any of it you never have the ability to enjoy your paycheck it's just going from one hand to another hand you never get to taste any of it that's not the way the lord designed for you to live in the bible says the blessing of the lord maketh a man rich and he adds no sorrow to it god doesn't want you to be scraping the bottom of the barrel god wants you to be the cream of the crop joseph when he hooked up with god it wasn't long before he was out of potiphar potiphar's um uh, he, he he was out of, of Potiphar, Potiphar's slavery bin and he was now in charge of everything that Potiphar had in his house because the Potiphar saw that the Lord blessed Joseph and everything that Joseph had in his hands multiplied and increased. You have hands of increase. You have hands of blessing. The Bible says that God will put a blessing onto, which, onto everything to which you put your hand to touch. 
God's a blessing God. God's a a prosperous God. He's a prosperity God. God is so strong on this that he even paved the streets of heaven with gold. I'm not saying we should be covetous. I'm not saying live your life trying to gain riches. The Bible says don't ever set your heart on riches. But God certainly does not want you to be poor. Why is it that Vegas can in two months erect these massive skyscrapers that are designed to keep people bound to gambling, prostitution, and all kinds of evil things? But then the church has to struggle. Why is it that there's some Christians that are more happy about celebrating Kanye West or Drake buying a jet, but then the moment a Christian buys a jet because he's got a crazy schedule that he can't do commercial flying anymore. He, he, it's just impossible. They, oh, does he really need a charter jet? Does he really? Yeah, look at his schedule. He absolutely needs one. But why is it that the devil steers people's hearts to hate that, but then, oh, did you see Drake's new jet? Man, it's a Boeing 747. It's decked out. Did you see the video? Let me send you the YouTube link. It's amazing. Oh, did you see uh, Justin Bieber's new Lamborghini? They're all they're happy about celebrating the world's prosperity, but the moment a Christian starts to prosper, ah, does he really need all that money? You really, you really think you need that? Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. It's a deadly fear of poverty that people have. And then you have other, and I know many preachers that write books on why you should stay poor, but newsflash, they charge you $23 for that book and they're making profits on it. They're getting rich telling you you should stay poor. It's one of the things that irritates me the most because I've been poor and I've been rich. And I'll choose being rich much more because Hope Fest that we did two weeks ago in Saskatoon where we were able to bless the people with thousands of dollars of prizes and food and all kinds of stuff, that could have never happened if I was as poor as Job's turkey. Could have never happened if I was just thinking of me. Do you really need that much? You know, I'm just happy God gave me just enough for me. Selfish. You're still poor if all you have is enough for you. God wants to take you you to the point where you have an overflow of the blessing of God, where you're able to bless others. Where you move from the guy that's renting the building to the guy that's owning the building. Where you move from the guy that's leasing the vehicle to the one who owns the car dealership. We need Christians that are generating wealth in these last days. Because the hour is late. Jesus is coming soon. And the gospel, it's going to take money to get it to the four corners of the earth. You know, for all the people that say America, all they they want is that prosperity, that American gospel. Oh yeah, 95% of world missions is coming out. World missions, funding for missionaries is coming out of America. So God prospered America to bring the gospel to the four corners of the earth. That's that American gospel, telling telling the people that God's going to bless them if they obey the Lord. First of all, I didn't read a book by uh, some preacher that's been labeled as a prosperity preacher this is deuteronomy 28 straight from the bible the holy scriptures if you will diligently obey the voice of your lord your god he'll set you high above the nations of the earth he'll bless you when you're coming in he'll bless you when you're coming out he'll bless your produce he'll bless the increase of your flocks he'll bless your herds he'll put a blessing on your storehouse he'll open up to you the good heavens he'll put plenty of goods and prosperity in your hands that's not my word that's the word of god David 
when he started off, had a few sheep. Read 1 Chronicles 30. He gave an offering of the equivalent of today's currency of $6 billion to, to, to fund the construction of the temple. You look at Solomon. He asked the Lord for wisdom to direct his people. God said, I'm going to give you not only wisdom, I'm going to give you long life, and I'm going to give you riches beyond what you've ever seen. The queen of Sheba came from the East Sea. The, Solomon, the wisdom of Solomon, and she fainted because of the prosperity Solomon had. The Bible says, he's the Lord your God who teaches you to profit. Teaches you to profit, not stay at the same level. Teaches you to profit, teaches you to increase. So if you have a picture of God wanting to keep you poor, you're going to stay in dreadful fear of poverty. But when you start to realize he's not El Chipo, he's El Shaddai. He's the God of more than enough. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's the one who said, I'll bless you in the city and I'll bless you in the country. He's the one that took the five loaves and two fish and multiplied it so that there was an overflow, so that they had 12 baskets leftovers of fragments that remain. He's the God that Elijah in the midst of a drought, Elijah was feeding on bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. That widow of Zarephath, when she obeyed the word of the Lord, she she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour didn't run dry. The jar of oil never ran dry according to the word of the Lord. He's the God who makes a covenant with his people. I'll give you an anointing to create wealth that I might establish my covenant with you. He's the God who took Abraham, Genesis 12, when he was just a, 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 an idol maker in his father's home and had nothing. He didn't own anything. And in one chapter, Genesis 13 2, Abraham was very rich in livestock and in silver and in gold. God takes people that are, Bible says he takes the beggar out of the dunghill to seat him amongst the princes of his people. The Bible says, who is the man who fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he shall choose. Himself shall dwell in prosperity, but the rebellious shall dwell in a dry land. God has a plan to prosper you from his word. If you'll listen to him, if you'll keep his instruction, he'll put a blueprint in your heart for a business, for an idea. Chick-fil-A was an idea from a Christian man in prayer. Hilton Hotels was a, a man of God, a Pentecostal man of God, reading and praying in the Holy Ghost, and the Lord gave him an idea to do these branch of hotels. Colgate, toothpaste, was a Christian. Started off poor that the Lord blessed. J.C. Penney, a Christian that God gave an idea. John D. Rockefeller. Used to, he would tithe on this, his first paycheck. He was tithing and giving offerings. And the Lord anointed his mind to produce, to produce, to innovate. The Bible says, I wisdom dwell with prudence and I find out knowledge of witty inventions. God will put in you a witty invention that will take this world by storm. That what eye has not seen, ear has not heard, what has never entered the heart of man. God will drop into your lap. And when you act on it, you'll break free from poverty. David said, I've been young, and now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his children begging for bread. Gone are the days of begging for you, my friend. From today, as you obey God in your finances, setting apart the holy part to the Lord, the tithe and the offering, God's going to open up the storehouse of heaven over you and pour you out a blessing so much so you won't have enough room to hold it all in. In Jesus' name, number four, um, Deadly fear that people have is the, the fear of failure and defeat. The fear of failure and defeat. In all the operations of faith in the Bible, Lester Summerall said, there are no failures 
Faith works, faith succeeds, and the Bible records no defeat related to failure, uh, to faith. In all the operations of faith in the Bible, there are no failures. Faith works, faith succeeds, and the Bible records no defeat related to faith. That was Lester Summerall. Joshua 1, 3 to 9. But I don't know if I should do that. What if I fail? What if I don't? What if I go and I end up getting slapped, uh, laid, out, laid on my feet? The Bible, uh, the Bible says in Joshua 1, 3, and I'm going to get that actually. Before I do that, there's a scripture, uh, a story that I heard Lester Summerall tell. He said that he had $12 in his pocket, was preaching in Glad Tidings, uh, San Francisco, Glad Tidings Tabernacle in San Francisco, California. Back in the days when it was the largest Pentecostal church in, Canada, in uh, America. And he was preaching there three nights. Had souls come in every night. Uh, took the, ch- the teenagers out on the street to teach them street preaching every day. Had amazing meetings. The pastor of that church at the time, Lester Summerall, was, uh, he was scheduled to take a boat out from San Francisco to Australia to meet Howard Carter there. He had $12 in his pocket. The pastor of the church Took up offerings every night, didn't give him a dime. But he said, you know what? I'll bring you to the, air, to the, to the, the loading dock. I'll bring you to, the, to the, um, the port. Brings him to the port. And he asked Lester Sarmel, who's sending you? Have you talked to our Assemblies of God office in Springfield, Missouri? He said, no. Jesus, my older brother, sent me. Oh, all, and he said, all you young people say is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's all Jesus is sending me here. Jesus, you guys got to report to, to, to and hold accountable to the Assemblies of God head office, you know? And he's like, he, he asked him, who's funding you? Who's funding you? How, you have any money? He's like, I have $12, but I'm going to believe God for the rest. So you know what the guy said? Instead of being an encouraging older preacher, he said, you're going to die in China or overseas, wherever you're going, because he was going to Australia and then he was going to go to China and all and Tibet and all that. He says, you're going to die. You'll starve to death. You know what Lester Summerall said? This is what you have to get in your spirit. Faith is not just right confession. It's, it's something that comes in you where when people speak the opposite of what you believe, it irritates you and you react violently. You know what Lester Summerall said? If I die, I want you to send a tombstone to China where my burial site is. And on the tombstone, have it engraved. Here lies Lester Sumrall, died trusting in Jesus. And he said, I won't do it. Lester Sumrall said, you won't have to do it. Because God is faithful. If Lester Sumrall had fallen into a victim, to being a victim of fear of defeat, fear of failure, fear of not making it, fear of what ifs, he would have never left America and we wouldn't have been blessed with all the literature that I have behind me of Lester Sumrall and the preaching that, the, that is on YouTube and the Feed the Hungry program that he has. That he, he was the first one to get an AC-130 airplane. That's like one of those large military jets to bring tons and tons of food overseas. He was the first one when the Berlin, the, the Iron Curtain fell, the Berlin Wall. He was the first one to bring supplies to the people that were, that were in Russia that had been destroyed by communism had he fallen victim to the fear of defeat and failure we wouldn't have seen what the world witnessed with one man that yielded to God despite despite the possibility of failure Joshua 1 3 says every place that the sole of your foot has tread on will be given to you as I said to Moses 
from the river you uh, will from this wilderness to the Lebanon as far as the great river the river Euphrates and the land of the Hittites and the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory verse 5 no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life as I was with Moses so shall I be with you I will never leave you I will not forsake you only be strong and of good courage for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance, the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do all according to the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn from it to the right hand or to the left hand that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it and you will have your way prosperous. You will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Don't be afraid nor be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you everywhere you go we don't have to fear failure because God is with us everywhere we go and remember God is love and 1 Corinthians 13 says love never fails so because God lives in us and God is love and love never fails then we we don't have the ability to fail you have to understand this if you go if you walk with God you have lost the capacity to fail you cannot fail you cannot fail if God's told you to go and start a business, you can't fail. God never leads you to failure. He never leads you to defeat. He never leads you downwards. He never leads you into a lesser place. He never leads you into a place where he's going to crush you or break you down. That's the devil's theology. God's going to break you down so he can build you up. God doesn't break people down. The Bible says every house has a builder and the builder of all things is God. God builds. Unless the house... Unless the Lord labors on the house, the labor labor is in vain. If you're setting out to do something on your own because you think it's a good idea, but God never told you to do it, then expect failure. You're going to be crushed. You're going to be weighed down by the pressure of that project. And the Bible says you're laboring in vain. But if the Lord is laboring on the house and you're laboring with him, you're not laboring in vain. You're not laboring in vain. 1 John 5, 4 says, whatever has been born of God has overcome the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. You're not destined for defeat. You have to see yourself that way. I have an inability to fail. Because if God be for me, who can be against me? The Bible says Gamaliel, when they took Peter and John and brought them to prison and they were going to kill them and they were deciding as to what they should do, Gamaliel stood up and said, men and brethren, leave these men alone. If this plan or if this project is of God, it cannot be overthrown. You'll be found fighting against God. When you're fighting with God, I'm not, citing, I'm not saying fighting against God. I mean, God's on your side and you're moving, to, you're moving forward with God then that plan and that project cannot be overthrown. God said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall never prevail against it. You're part of that church. The devil has no ability to prevail against you. You cannot fail. You've overcome this world. You've overcome the obstacles. That's when you start to see challenges, not as things sent to wipe you out. It's actually just things sent to try and stop you, try and hinder you, but it's just an opportunity for God to show forth his faithfulness again. God is too faithful to fail you. And you're not special enough to screw up his track record. God has never failed and he's not about to start with you. That's right, Katie, on YouTube. No weapon formed against you can prosper. No weapon formed against you can prosper. And then I love what it says after. Every tongue that tries to rise up against you, you can condemn it. You can lay it flat. 
So the next time the devil tries to rear his ugly face and suppress what God's trying to do with you, you don't have to just tolerate it. You don't have to just play dead until he passes by. You can condemn that thing. No. I rebuke you, Satan. The Bible says when you submit, your God, submit to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. He will flee from you. If God was prone to failure, I would have failed a long time ago. God was prone to failure, Lester Summer would have been buried in China. And a tombstone sent his way. Here lies Lester Summerall. Lester Summerall died trusting in Jesus. Those who trust in the Lord shall never be disappointed. God's not leading you to failure. He's leading you to a great future. God is not leading you to failure. He's leading you to a great future. The devil tries to lay people down because if he can get you, if he can get you to have the fear of failure, insecurity about what man says, who cares what, well, what if I fail and then what, they're going to say this, they're going to say that. Who cares what they say? The fear of man brings a snare. And a snare keeps and catches people firm. Not allowing them to move forward. When you fear man and what they'll say and what if and what, you go by what ifs, you're not going to do anything in life. You have to go by thus saith the Lord. The Bible says he leads you in the way you should go. Thou shalt hear a voice behind thee saying, this is the way, walk ye therein. And when the Lord is your shepherd, you will not lack. For he that began a good work, if God began the work, he said, I'm going to complete it. He that began the work shall complete it. Despise not the day of small beginnings. See, that's where people have the fear of failure the most is in the beginning. They don't see any increase, immediate, immediate increase. They don't see any increase. They don't see that rapid increase they wanted, so they give up. That's what happened to the man that had the one talent. He said, I was afraid of you, and so I went and dug my talent in the ground. He was afraid of God because he thought God wasn't interested in him prospering, wasn't interested in him progressing. God is interested in your success. Apple. The iPhone, the Apple CEO, he's interested in the success of the iPhone because the iPhone is his product. You are God's product. If you don't succeed, his reputation's on hand. His reputation's at risk. His reputation is at fault. If these iPhones start backfiring at a high level and 90% of iPhones don't even work, iPhone's stock is going to plummet. Apple stock's going to plummet. Apple's probably going to go out of business. They're not going to be trusted any longer. Because that's their product. You are God's product. He is the manufacturer. Apple's iPhones have a, an Apple logo on the back of their phones. Because they bear the image of Apple. We bear the image of God. You're created in His likeness. He's interested in having you succeed. In having you prosper. He wants to show your life as a billboard to this generation. This is what happens when you trust me. And number five, eliminating the five deadly fears. Number five, the devil, demons, and curses. The devil, demons, and curses. You don't have to be afraid of the devil. You don't have to be afraid of demons. You don't have to be afraid of curses. Luke chapter 10. The devil's not some big, strong foe that he loves people to have an idea of him. Or a picture of him like. 
and he's some muscular guy with big red horns. And, and he goes around just ransacking people. The Bible says that his head was crushed when Jesus cracked his head open at the cross. That he was, Colossians 2.14, all his power, all his principalities were disarmed publicly at the cross. He's disarmed. I've said this before. The devil loves to get people to believe that he is a roaring lion, but the Bible says he is like a roaring lion. He's actually just a mouse with a microphone. He's a defeated devil. Jesus is a reigning king. The devil is a defeated devil. Jesus is the reigning king. Luke 10, 17, the 70 returned with great joy. Lord, even the demons are subject to us. Subject means to be placed under. Even demons are placed under us when we use your name. And Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Satan, people always think that Satan is almost in heaven in a back room with God plotting on how they both can like discipline you. What can God and the devil, God and the devil getting together plotting on how they can, uh, you know, what they can do against you, what they can mess up in your life. That they have this idea that God and the devil are on the same level and they're actually, they're, they're, they're in business together. When in reality, there's no place for the devil any longer in heaven. The Bible says he tried to prevail against God and the angels, but they prevailed not. Neither was any more place found for him in heaven. There's no place found for him in heaven. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Then he says in verse 19, Behold, I give you the authority and power to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the devil and nothing shall by any means harm you nevertheless don't rejoice that this the spirits are subject to you but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven your name's written in heaven so you don't have to graduate into this place of authority if your name's written in heaven because you're saved your name's written in the lamb's book of life your account is settled with god your sins are forgiven then the demons are subject to you. Devils are subject to you. you. You don't have to work your way up into that. You don't have to develop. It's not like the scouts where you have different badges of honor or like karate where you can get a purple belt, black belt, white belt, blue belt, what all, all the belt colors. When you get saved, you automatically have a black belt in heaven to crack the devil's skull everywhere you see him. Give him two black eyes and punch his teeth in. Lester Samuel said the story once where he was sleeping and the devil literally blew the window of his room open and the room started to shake. His bed shook until it was in the middle of the room. And then he got up and he said, devil, I command you to come out of this room. In Jesus' name, leave. It left, but the window was still open and the, the, the bed was still in the middle of the room. And he said, this is like, it was like 2 a.m. He said, I didn't want to get up. So he said, devil, come back in here. Bring my bed right back to where it was and close the windows on your way out because I'm not getting up to do it. And that's exactly what happened. Came back in, moved the bed right back to where it was, closed the window on its way out. You have to realize you have a superiority complex over all the devil. You're not at the mercy of the devil. He's at your mercy. You're not subject to him. He's subject to you. You're not under his feet. He's under your feet. He's not eye to eye with you. You're far above principalities, powers, 
authorities, dominions, and every name that is named, not only in this age, and also but also that which is to come. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places far above, far above. Where Christ is, that's where I am. When I use the name of Jesus, it's as if Christ himself were standing in my stead. And the same way the devil would respect Jesus, if he were on the earth saying and giving that command, he has to respect me because I'm giving the command in faith in the name of Jesus. And that name is still higher than any other name. Every knee at the mention of that name has to bow. Of things in heaven, of things on earth, and of things beneath the earth. You don't have to fear the devil. You live in fear of the devil, you'll never lay hands on the sick. You'll never cast out a devil. That's why the devil, whenever there's a manifestation of a demonized person, they love to shake. They love to scream. They love to manifest largely. They want to make a show so that he can crush your faith levels and cause fear to rise and intimidate you to the point where you don't, have, you don't actually carry the authority to cast them out. That's why they make these big shows. But any time a devil manifests, it's actually a sign that you carry an, an anointing strong enough to, to cast it out. Acts 28, P, uh, Paul makes a fire. When he made the fire, a viper came out, fastened on his hand. What did Paul do? Oh no, this must be my end. No, he shook the snake right back into the fire. And the same fire that drew it out is the same fire that destroyed the snake. The same fire that's in you that draws demons to manifestation is the same fire and the same spirit that gives you power to cast them out by the finger of God. Remember it says that Jesus said, I cast out demons by the finger of God. It doesn't even take his whole hand. just takes one finger. Just, just his pinky finger. Just his pinky nail. Hitting a demon. Cast out even the highest level of demons. Well that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you so if the devil can get you to believe wrongly of yourself that you're just a sinner saved by grace that you're just you know pretty much on the same level as him that we gotta we gotta we gotta go through life we gotta go through life battling demons we gotta go through life warring against principalities and just have this you know spiritual warfare is warfare but it's not warfare the world likes to see warfare you see when an army on earth goes to war against another army there is a hustle there is a tussle there is a, a, a contestation that happens when we go to war against demons there's no war there's really no warfare there's no challenge there's no sweat on our behalf the sweating is on his behalf because the force of the anointing is strong enough to blast out high level demons and low level demons doesn't matter what badge they have in hell the name of i don't care what name it has i don't care if it's a demon of lust a demon of anger a demon of death a demon of murder a demon of for goodness sakes, there was one guy at Saskatoon who said he had the demon of, uh, of uh, Peter's imposter, whatever that even means. It doesn't matter what demon it is. Every name has to bow to the name of Jesus Christ. And I have that name, and you have that name. So instead of walking around hoping the devil doesn't come your way, why don't you walk around carrying the awareness of who you are in Christ that it's no longer you who lives, but now Christ lives in you. And that boldness enabling you to carry fire in your eyes where the devil's now walking around, hoping he doesn't get in your way. Because no man's be able to stand before you all the days of your life. God's presence in you is a tormenting force 
to the presence of demonic activity and darkness all around you. I don't care what principalities in this region and in that region. The Holy Ghost in me is the greatest principality there is. The greatest power there is. All of hell and every witch and every demon. You know, I said not be living in fear of demons, devils, or of curses. It's people that live in fear of curses. I feel like I'm cursed. I feel like I'm cursed. Well, if you're cursed, you aren't saved. Because the Bible says when you got saved, you got blessed. So if you say you're cursed, then you have to say you're not saved. Because the Bible says in Ephesians 1.3, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. So you can either identify yourself as cursed or you can identify yourself as blessed and saved. You're either cursed and lost or blessed and saved. But you can't be the two. Don't be double-minded. The Bible says the devil can't curse whom God has blessed. And God's blessed you. The devil can't renounce whom God has blessed. Whom the Lord has not denounced, the devil cannot denounce. And God's not against you. He's for you. And he's, the Bible says in uh, Acts chapter 3 verse 19, God has sent Jesus first to bless us in turning us away from our iniquity. So don't have a cursed mindset. Don't carry a perspective of yourself that you're cursed. I just have bad luck. There is no such thing. When you switched, into, switched over into Christ, you switched onto the blessed side. The blessed life is now your life. They paid Balaam to curse Israel three times. Instead, he just blessed them. And Balak said, I keep telling you to curse him. You keep blessing him. He said, I can't curse whom God has blessed. There's an inability the devil has to curse you. Because you're blessed. Doesn't matter if you feel blessed, you're blessed. Doesn't matter if you don't feel blessed, you're blessed. Doesn't matter if you feel cursed, you're blessed. Start to confess what God's word says about you. I am blessed in my coming in and I'm blessed in my going out. I'm blessed in the city. I'm blessed in the country. I'm blessed here and I'm blessed there. Blessed in the morning, blessed in the evening. Blessed in the afternoon and blessed at midnight. Blessed at 3 a.m., blessed at 3 p.m. Doesn't matter what hour of the day it is, I'm blessed. And that blessing makes me rich and adds no sorrow to it. Hallelujah. Abraham had a testimony, and I think it's Genesis 24, 57. The Bible says that his servant said, the Lord has blessed Abraham and see what increase of flocks and herds and everything he has. And the Lord has made everything to be blessed in his hand. Abraham was supernaturally blessed and Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law so that we might enter into the blessing of Abraham. Abraham wasn't going around, oh man, I feel like all hell's let loose against me. I don't know what I'm going to do. I feel cursed today. Abraham... Whenever there was opposition, he had 314 trained men. He was 100 years old and he went out to war against them and he won and he had victory and he triumphed everywhere he went because he was blessed. It was an inability to defeat him. Abimelech took his own wife, Sarah, was going to sleep with her. That night, a dream comes to him and God appears to him and says, hey, that man's blessed. He's mine. You touch that girl, you touch his wife and I'll kill you. That blessing not only blessed Abraham, anyone that would try to curse Abraham was cursed. The blessing of God not only adverts, averts the curse, it not only puts an inability on you to be cursed, anyone that tries to curse you, you're like rubber. It just bounces off you and bounces back on them. The devil tries to curse you, it's just going to return on him sevenfold. 
If all of hell and every curse and every witch was released my way, but God is still for me and on my side, it comes to nothing. I can't be overthrown. On the flip side, if I had every man on my side, but God was against me, I'd be a dead man. But if everything is against me and God before me, I'm uncursable, untouchable. The Bible says, touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. You have a touch not decree placed on your life. You have a harm not decree placed over your life. Paul said it this way, I bear in my body the mark of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, let no man trouble me from henceforth. Hallelujah. The five deadly fears that are, gonna be elim that are eliminated from your life from today. Fear is faith in the devil and what his will and desire and word is for your life. Faith is believing God's report in every aspect of your life. And I'll finish with this. You might not have a struggle with fear of poverty, but maybe you have a struggle with fear of sickness. That's where you know you have to build yourself up in the word of God on. You might not have a fear of death, but you have a fear of poverty. That's where you have to build yourself up on the word of God. I have books, all kinds of books, and there's more books that I don't have behind me. I did this because it's aesthetically nice, but there's way more books that I have on different topics. If I feel fear for uh, anything, not, you know, not, not getting enough money to do a hope fest or whatever, you know what I do? I go and read books on God's provision, God's covenant of, of prosperity, and it starts to build me up, and then that fear leaves. Anywhere where there's worry, Anywhere where there's fear, anywhere where there's anxiety in your life is proof that you have insufficient buildup of the word of God in that area. So what's, how do you counteract that? How do you redeem yourself there? How do you uh, repel fear and build up faith in those areas? Study this book of the law. Meditate on it day and night. Study the area that you're lacking faith in. The Bible says if you fail in the day of adversity, your strength is too small. So if your strength is too small in one area, build yourself up in your most holy faith by reading the word, finding out what God says on that subject, and then confess it and act on it, and you'll see the fear, the fear will bow out. You can either, at the sign of faith, choose to nourish it. You can nurture faith, uh, fear. You can, you can uh, entertain thoughts of fear. You can tolerate thoughts of fear, or you can do it the onset of it, cast down that imagination. Get into the word of God concerning that. Start to declare the word of God and you'll see how quickly, how quickly it goes. How quickly it goes. Fear of sickness comes. Fear of death comes. Puts you in an early grave. Start quoting what I quoted today. The Lord said he'll take sickness out of my midst. The word of God says, as my days are, so shall my strength be. The word of God says, with long life, I'll be satisfied and sh he'll show me his salvation. The word of God says, as a sheaf of corn is, so shall I go at a good old age. The word of God says that he'll um, reveal unto me the abundance of truth and peace, for he has brought me health and a cure. The word of God says, heal me and I shall be healed. Sa save me and I shall be saved. The word of God says, by his stripes, I'm healed. And all of a sudden, joy will come, fear and depression goes, and you forget you ever even had that thought. You have to do it right at the root of it. If you're watching right now and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you need to do it today. You should fear sickness, you should fear death, you should fear poverty, you should fear disaster, destruction, you should fear demons, devils, and curses if you're not saved. All those things, you're an open prayer for the devil to come and do whatever he wants if you're not saved. If you don't have absolute 
certainty in your heart that you're saved. You need to make today the, make today the day that you do that. Put your head to the pillow tonight. Rest for the first time in years, knowing that your sins are forgiven. Your account is settled. You've been reconciled to God. Reconnected back to God. And if Jesus Christ were to come back tonight, that's one of the fears I had. Fear of the rapture when I was living in sin. I'd have dreams of the rapture multiple times per month. I'd be a high, see lightning flashing from the east to the west, call my parents to see if my dad was still there, my mom was still there. If my brother answered, I knew he wasn't living right, I'd say, give that phone to dad. And if I heard my dad's voice, I knew that the rapture hadn't happened yet because I know he'd be up there. I lived in the fear of the rapture, fear of the second coming. You don't have to fear the second coming of Christ. You can look forward to the second coming of Christ. And do like uh, the end of Revelation says, Lord, come. Where you're actually anticipating it. We're actually eager for it. Pray this with me from the bottom of your heart. If you've never done this, or maybe you have, but you've fallen astray. You're like the prodigal son. You've been eating the product of fear. It's brought a snare. It's brought disaster. It's brought only harmful things. But today you're saying, I'm going to go home. I'm going to reconcile with God. God's not going to meet you with a ruling stick and just slap you up and say, oh no, you think you can come home now? No way, you're grounded. No, Bible says he'll meet you with blessings. He'll meet you with forgiveness. It's religion that casts stones. Jesus brings grace and mercy. He's full of grace and truth. So pray this with me. Reconnect to God. Get your sins forgiven. Sell your account in heaven. Say this with me from the bottom of your heart. Father, in Jesus' name, I turn to you. I repent. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. I believe that you raised Jesus from the dead. I confess, Jesus is my Lord. I turn to you today. I ask you, where I was weak, by your spirit, strengthen me. From today, I will choose to live for you. But I need your grace to do it. Give me grace to go and sin no more. To have my eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. And I'll never turn back. I'm moving with you now. Jesus lives in me. My sins are forgiven. My record is cleaned. I'm a new creation. Heaven is my home. God is my father. And I'm never turning back. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love for you to get in contact with me. Go to salvationnow.ca. The first link that pops up in the midsection of the page is I just got saved. Click it. Fill it out. There's a link to a YouTube video at the bottom of that page. Four things that I would tell every believer. Four basic things that you must do as a Christian if you want to ensure success and walk in prosperity and move on in the things of God. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.